By the time we come to Acts chapter 3, the wonder and the thrill of Pentecost were things of the past. The little flames of fire that had sat upon the heads of the disciples were no longer visible. It was their hearts and not their heads that were now burning. The experience that they had enjoyed there in the upper room when the Spirit initially came upon them was now over. These servants of Christ had now returned to the real world. They had left the mountaintop of a high spiritual experience and entered the valley of real life. Whenever they came down from the upper room and walked out through the doors, they were face to face with a real life, with the real issues of life, people and their problems. How would they handle this? Would their Christian experience, the great experience that they had there on the day of Pentecost, would it enable them to handle these real life situations and issues? Told here that Peter and John are going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. This was at nine o'clock in the morning, about a half an hour after the morning sacrifices. And it was seen that Peter and John deliberately waited until the sacrifices were over because they were no longer trusting in those sacrifices that were being offered there in the temple. But rather, their faith and their trust was now in the all-sufficient sacrifice of Christ. They were depending upon not those animals that were being offered there by the priests in the temple, but they were trusting in the sacrifice of Christ, his precious blood alone, to, uh, to be accepted by God. And dear friend, in the meeting tonight, that is the only way that you as an individual will ever be accepted by God, ever be reconciled to God, and ever know his favor and his blessing and enter someday into his heaven. It's only if your faith and your trust and your dependence is upon the sacrifice of Christ alone. Not in yourself, not in any good that you might think that you do, but in the sacrifice of Christ alone. I wonder tonight, can you honestly say and do you honestly know that your faith and trust is in the sacrifice of Christ alone? But because these apostles were accepted by God on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ, they now desire to have fellowship with him, to commune with him in prayer. And so that is why we find them here going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. They wanted to commune with the risen, exalted Christ. They realized that without Christ, they could do absolutely nothing. They were absolutely dependent upon him. And that's really what prayer is, friends. And it's why we should give prayer the utmost priority in our lives and in the life of our church. Because prayer is really an acknowledgement that in ourselves we can do absolutely nothing. That we're dependent upon God alone. We come to prayer, we come to the prayer meeting to cry to God, whom we know is all-powerful, who's able to 
change lives, able to change situations, able to heal sick bodies. We come to God acknowledging our absolute dependence upon him. Peter and John realized that they needed to continually cast themselves upon the Lord. So this is why we find them here going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. As they were going, as they approached the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful, they come across this beggar man who had been sat here by friends. This man, he had been born lame. Chapter 4 tells us that this man was about 40 years old. This man had never walked in his life. Never, ever walked in his life. Every day he was carried here by his friends and he was, he, he was sat down here. And as he sat there, he would put his little cap on the pavement beside him. And his hope would be that as others were going into the temple to, to pray and to worship the Lord, that they would throw something into his cap, money or something. This beggar sitting outside the gate of the temple here is a wonderful illustration of humanity in sin. Think of this man. He was in a terrible condition. He couldn't walk. He had been born like that. There was never a time when he could walk. He never knew what it was to put one foot past the other and to walk, something that all of us just do naturally and don't even think about. He couldn't ever do that from the moment he was born. You know, the Bible tells us, makes it very, very clear that all of us are born in sin. Psalm 51 and verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We are not born innocent and free from sin, as some people would tell us. Rather, we are born with the crippling disease of sin. Dear friend, if you're ever going to know the Lord, if you're ever going to know eternal life and know the assurance of a home in heaven, it begins by understanding the fact that you are a sinner, that you're a helpless sinner. Like this man, from the moment he was born, he couldn't walk, helpless, unable to walk, so you, my friend, along with all mankind, from the moment you were born, are a helpless sinner, unable to save yourself or do anything to save yourself. Romans 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The simple truth with regard to mankind, which many people will not accept, is that God created man and woman perfect, but they rebelled and sinned against him, and all humanity are now born in sin. This is the only explanation, friends, of our world and everything that's happening in it. There are some fearful, frightening things that are happening in our world, even as we speak tonight. All of the things that are happening, the behavior of people, all that we see taking place around us, 
even in this town of Market Hill, it can only be explained by the fact that man is a sinner. You cannot explain it any other way. People have all kinds of explanations as to why things happen in the world the way they do, why people behave the way they do. But friends, the word of God is clear. We behave the way we do because we are born in sin. We're born with a sinful, rebellious heart against God. And sin has the effect on us of paralyzing us, leaving us in a helpless condition, just like this paralyzed man here lying at the gate of the temple. He was helpless. He was unable to do anything. He was unable to get up and to walk or to, to help himself. Of course, there were some things that he could do. For example, he could talk about politics. He could discuss work, uh, current affairs. He, he could give his opinion on, on, on how we can help the world and its problems, just like so many people can do today. He could even hold out his hand. But there's one thing he could not do. He could not get up and walk. He was absolutely helpless. He couldn't help himself or he couldn't help anyone else around him. He was paralyzed. And that is a picture of the state of humanity. We are helpless sinners. Helpless sinners. We're born with this crippling disease called sin. It leaves us in a totally helpless condition. We are unable to save ourselves from that sin or anyone else. Think about how sin paralyzes us. We are paralyzed when it comes to knowing God. We cannot of ourselves come to know God. Job 11 verse 7, it says, Canst thou by searching find out God? People have been able to search and find out many things. Some great inventions have been discovered by a man searching and, 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 and coming to a knowledge of those things. But no one has ever, of themselves, been able to search for and to find God and to come to know him. Multitudes tonight all over our world are striving, following religions in the vain hope of searching for and finding God. And yet the reality is, after all of their searching, after all of their striving, they still do not know God. We're paralyzed, you see. In and of ourselves, we cannot search for and find God and come to know him. We're totally unable to do that. We're also paralyzed when it comes to true living. Can we by ourselves live the true and the full life that we were meant to live, a life of perfect enjoyment and peace and contentment and satisfaction, a life where there's absolutely nothing lacking, that life that people all around us are vainly searching for and trying to find. That's the great quest of mankind everywhere trying to find that inner peace and satisfaction that they know they were created for. There's, there's that within them that, that just tells them that they, they ought to be knowing true peace and contentment and satisfaction. 
and yet it always seems to elude them. They cannot ever find it. That life that Adam and Eve knew there in paradise at the beginning, when they were first created, can we by our own efforts find and live such a life? No, we can't. We are paralyzed when it comes to true living. We're also paralyzed when it comes to conquering the devil and temptation and sin. Can anyone face temptation, the power of temptation to sin, and always defeat and overcome it and never sin? When we do something wrong and bring great misery upon ourselves, can we by our own efforts succeed in never repeating that wrong? If we're honest tonight, we will have to say that we can't. Someone has said we are in the grip of some dread paralysis that holds us down and that cripples us. Sin paralyzes us, friends. And I trust tonight that you are not foolishly thinking as you sit in this meeting, as you try to live your life from day to day, that by your own efforts that you can merit God's favor or attain these things that we so desperately need in our lives because you will never do it. Well, like this paralyzed man, see yourself here, my friend, spiritually, your spiritual condition before God, helpless, unable to save yourself. Another thing that we see in the picture of this beggar is that the world is unable to help us. The world is unable to help us. What could the world give this man lying here in his helpless condition at the gate of the temple? All that they could give him was money. All that they could throw at him from day to day was money. What could that money do for that man? It could, it could help him to get a little temporal relief. He could buy some food with it. He could maybe get some entertainment if there, were, if there was such a thing as a radio in those times. He could buy himself a radio and, and, and have some entertainment to try and um, have a little more enjoyment in, even in his condition there. What the world was giving to him, the money, could only get him temporal relief. What it could not do for him was it could not meet his real need. And what was the real need of this man? His real need was that he could not get up and walk. That was his real problem. And all of this money that people were throwing at him from day to day could never, ever solve that need that he had. You know, whenever we look at the world tonight, it is much to offer us. Politicians have much to offer us. We know all about that every time an election comes up. They're offering us so much. Education can offer us so much. There's so many things that you can get educated on in these days. Places of entertainment. All of these things, like the money that these people were given to this man day after day, these things can give us some temporal relief. But... When it comes to our greatest need, our ultimate need, none of these things can do anything for us. We are in a paralyzed, helpless condition spiritually. 
We are cut off and separated from God and a vital living relationship with him that will last for eternity. And all that the world has to offer us is absolutely useless to meet that need, that ultimate need of being reconciled to God, knowing our sins forgiven, knowing what it is to live with God in heaven forever. Money will never, ever meet that need for us. What did this lame man need? Think about it. What he needed was life put into those dead limbs of his. That's what he needed. Life put into his feet and his ankles. That was his real need. Not a little temporary relief that would help him a little more, uh, to be a little more comfortable. What he really needed was life imparted to those limbs of his so that he could get up and walk again. And friends, that's exactly what Peter and John were able to give him. Look carefully at Peter's reply here. He spoke this famous phrase, silver and gold have I none. I don't have some temporal relief for you, Peter was saying. Don't look to me to give you what all of these other people who are passing by you every day can give you. That is a little temporary relief, a little money to give you some temporary help. And friends, that's where our message to the world really begins. That's where the gospel begins. We don't have silver and gold. We don't have a mere temporal remedy for people's needs, for helpless, paralyzed sinners, people who cannot save themselves. We don't have mere temporal reliefs to offer to them. We don't offer them politics to take care of their social needs. That's not our calling. That's the government's job to take care of that. That's not what we offer. Neither do we offer them music and entertainment to merely give them a good feeling and to help them to feel better. Because we, we mentioned this this morning. Sadly, some churches have merely turned into uh, places of entertainment where, 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 where people uh, come to have a little emotional uplift. Friends, that's not what the gospel is about. That's not what the church has to offer men and women who are paralyzed in their sin. You can give them a little temporary relief. You can give them a little, a little bit of emotional uplift and they can still go to hell and be lost. Neither do we offer them psychological treatment that will help them mentally to deal with their problems. There are clinics and, and hospitals that deal with those kinds of things. So what do we offer helpless, paralyzed sinners? What did Peter say? But such as I have, give I thee. And what did Peter have? In the name of Jesus Christ, right of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Here was the answer to this man's real need. In the name of Jesus Christ, he could rise up and walk. People's real need, friends, is the need of their soul. Their need to be reconciled to God. They don't know him. That's the problem with people. They don't know the Lord. And because they don't know the Lord, they don't know how to live. 
and they don't know how to die. That's the reality. That's why people's lives are in such a mess. Why there's such confusion. It's because people don't know the Lord. That's the heart of the problem. And it is only Jesus Christ and the power in his name that can help people, that can enable them to have their real need met. There's only one answer for this real need that's different from everything else that the world has to offer tonight. Just as, as there was only one answer for the real need that this man had lying here at the temple. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The real cure and remedy for our real problem is in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He was the eternal Son of God. He took upon himself human flesh. He came into our world. And why did he come? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Poor, helpless sinners, such as we all are, Christ came and he laid down his life on Calvary's cross. He died and he rose again to do for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves, what all the help in the world could never do for us. He came to die for us, to deal with the real problem of humanity. Isn't it amazing, incredible, as we look even at our world governments and our world leaders, as they look all at the problems of the world, what a superficial view they take of the, of the real problem of, 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 of mankind. They don't know the real problem. The real problem is that people's hearts are in rebellion against God. They're helpless sinners. They cannot save themselves. But the only one who can save them, the only one who can meet their real need, and dear friend of the meeting tonight, if you're not saved, realize the only one who can meet your real need, your need to be reconciled to God, is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He came to redeem us, lost guilty sinners, to reconcile us to God. He came to deal with our fundamental problem, the problem of our separation from God. Peter was as much as saying to this man, I am here to put you in touch with the only one who can really meet your need. That is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. <coughs> the only one who can do for you what all this money that these people are giving you from day to day can never do for you. That is cure your lameness. Put life back into those dead limbs of yours so that you can get up and walk again. That is our message. We're here to put you in touch with the only one who can meet your real need. We can't meet that need, but he can. No preacher can meet the need of your heart, my friend. No church can meet that need. But our business is to point you like Peter did here to this man, to point you to the only one who can meet that need, Jesus Christ. Of Nazareth. Christ is the only one who can meet your need. He died, he bore away our sins, he rose again the third day. 
He said to his disciples before he ascended back to heaven, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. He alone can deal with your radical problem, the paralysis of your soul. Because you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead people don't get up and walk and do anything to help themselves. But he quickens us. He puts that life within us that we could never put within ourselves. Our broken relationship with God is restored. We, are, we, we experience the new birth, that mighty transformation within us, that imparting of divine life into our souls. The Holy Spirit comes to live within our hearts, to give us that power and that strength that we need to face life, to face the challenges of life, to face the power of sin and temptation from day to day. He alone can do all of that for us. He can do that for you tonight. He's the only Savior. He's a powerful Savior. He's able to save you. Peter took this man by the hand and he lifted him up. You see, it was Christ lifting this man up and restoring him through Peter. And what was the result? Verse 7. And the, the second part of verse 7 says, And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked, and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Friends, this is what the gospel does. The gospel immediately imparts life to dead sinners. And dear sinner friend, if you will but look to Christ tonight, you can receive that life that you so desperately need. This is what Christ is able to do for you, to immediately give you new and divine life, abundant life. He's able to give you the knowledge that your sins are forgiven, that you are reconciled to God, that your old life of enslavement to sin and sinful lusts and habits, that it's gone the paralysis was gone for this man. He was now able to live a full life. He was able to do all that a healthy man could do. Why? Because the power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth put life into those dead limbs. He could get up and walk again and experience a full and a healthy life. And dear friend, if you will but come to Christ tonight, look to this wonderful Savior that we're seeking to point you to you too can receive that abundant life, life through life. Not the empty life that the world has to offer, but through life, a life of fellowship and communion with God, knowing that your soul is reconciled to him, knowing with all assurance that one day you'll live with him forever. Friends, that's what the gospel is able to do for you. There was one condition for this man. Peter said to him in verse 4, look on us. Now Peter was not saying, look at us, we are some great and wonderful people. No, he wasn't saying that. What he was saying was, we are not ordinary men. Like all of these other men and people who are passing by you here and throwing their money into your cap. What he was saying was, we are the apostles of Christ. We are the ones whom he has commissioned to go and to preach his gospel, to proclaim the power that's in his name. You must pay attention to what we are saying. We're not here bringing our own message 
or our own ideas. We're here as the apostles of Christ and because he has commissioned us, we can say to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So my friend tonight, as we bring this meeting to a close, you need to listen to the message that we are bringing to you. Because we're not bringing to you our own ideas, what we think is right, or what we think that you need. But we're bringing to you the message that Christ has told us to deliver to you. The message which tells us that we cannot save ourselves. It's not in anything we do, what our church can do for us, but it's in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of Jesus Christ, because he alone has laid down his life for sinners. He alone died in your place, took the punishment you deserve. He alone can save you and set you free. What was this man's response? It says, he gave heed unto them. That can be translated as he directed and held his mind toward them. Is that what you're doing with the gospel that's being preached from this pulpit week after week as you sit under its sound and its message? Are you directing and holding your mind toward that message? In other words, are you thinking seriously upon the message of the gospel? It's a serious matter to hear the gospel time and time again and to never ever sit down and to really consider this applies to me. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I'm in danger of being lost. Christ died for me. I need to look by faith to him. Is that what you're going to do with the gospel tonight? I trust by the grace of God, it's my prayer, that you will, as this man did to Peter here, give heed unto him. Give heed to the message of the gospel, friends. It's the only message that can save you because it tells of an all-powerful Savior who's able to save all who call upon him. Will you call upon him tonight? Will you consider these important issues and call upon the Savior? Receive life from his hand. Let's close by singing 245. 245 on the page 275. There's life for a look at the crucified one. There's life at this moment for thee. Then look, sinner, Look unto him and be saved, unto him who was nailed to the three. We'll sing just the first three verses of this hymn, number 245, verses 1 to 3.
thank thee tonight for the wonderful truth that there is indeed life for a look at the crucified one. And all the sinners tonight might look by faith away from themselves, away from all of their own efforts, and look to Christ and live, be saved. Lord, bless thy truth. We thank thee for the, the gospel. Thank thee for an all-powerful Savior. And believe uh, the, the need of sinners in thy great hands. Speak on where the voice of man is silent. And draw to thyself, we pray in Christ's lovely name. Amen.